to episode nine in a series of podcasts from the Women's IP World Annual. I'm your host, Michelle Katz, and I am the founding partner of the law firm Advitum IP, which in Latin means intellectual property for life. We are based out in the U.S. in Chicago. Me and my firm are hosting this podcast on behalf of Northens Media PR and Marketing Limited, based out of the U.K. and London. They are the publishers of the Women's IP World Annual and the Global IP Matrix magazine. The 2021 Women's IP World can be found digitally at womensipworld.com. Again, that's womensipworld.com. And you can listen to the annual as well on your favorite podcast app. Now that some IP conferences are back in person again, also keep an eye out for those hard copies. Today, we're talking with Claire Gibson in the UK from Patent Seekers. Claire, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And I'm really excited to speak with you today. Uh, I know that you're a patent analyst at Patent Seekers, but you had a career that was different than IP prior to that. Can you tell us about uh, yourself and your career path to IP? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, obviously, normal person from a country in Wales and the UK. I went to school. I grew up in quite a, quite an impoverished area, uh, so I we went to like a standard comprehensive school, uh, did A levels, uh, did a year of law in university, and basically landed myself in uh, finance. Uh, so I was working for one of the big main banks over in the UK, uh, and we had a career with them for um, in excess actually of ten years. Uh, I had several promotions when I was with them. Uh, I worked up to a good management level. Um, and then one day I just I just thought, I want to do something else. <laughs> so, you were done, huh? You just felt like, I am done with this. I need something new? I felt like I was in a situation where like you could have promotions and obviously it would lead you to more interesting roles. But I just had a thought one day of, if I left the company I was working for, would I have to start from scratch again? Or do you know what I mean? Like, how would it work? So I just thought to myself, wanted to be challenged a little bit more. Uh, so I went to university. I did physics in university whilst I worked in the bank. Uh, so, so I worked oh, wow. okay. in a university full time as well. Um, and then once I got my degree, uh, I happened to find uh, patent seekers were recruiting and I applied to them. And that's where I am now. So when did you start with Patent Seekers? I started with them in 2017. 2017, okay. So tell us about what what does Patent Seekers do and then what do you do for them specifically? So Patent Seekers are um, an intellectual property searching company, essentially. So we specialize in patents, um, in designs and trademark searches, and we offer a variety of searches. So we'll offer uh, 
customer focus sort of patent design trademark research journal uh, search services so we offer some standard searches for example like patentability um clearance searches validity uh, we do also offer bespoke searches uh, depending really on what a client is, is looking for uh, and we basically help them on their journey basically whether they're innovating a new product, trying to get something patented, whether they're facing potentially a legal issue, uh, or, or whether they are just looking to map out, you know, current sort of climate in this particular technology. So do you work typically with law firms? Uh, or do you typically work with companies directly who are, who are needing those services? It's actually a mixture. So mm-hmm. we work a lot with attorneys because obviously a lot of companies who are you know whether they have a litigation issue or whether they are applying for patents they go to a patent attorney so we do have attorneys that use patent seeker services so we're getting the work by an attorney on behalf of a client if that makes sense mm-hmm. um, we do also work with companies directly so we do have um, a variety of companies, small in size to you know large white will companies, uh, and we'll do searches directly for them. Uh, so it is a bit of a mixture. And yeah, I would say we have a large amount of attorneys that we work for, uh, but we also do have you know a substantial amount of companies and and sometimes just independent inventors that are looking to use our services. Does patent seekers have a headquarters? Um, yes, yeah, so our main headquarters is in the United Kingdom. Okay, is it in Wales where you are? That's right, yeah. We're in South Wales uh, in Newport, which is, which is just outside of Cardiff. Okay, and then are there offices outside of the UK? Um, we do, yes. So we have um, offices in Canada. So uh, we've got uh, headquarters there, basically in Toronto. Well, okay. And anywhere else? At the moment, no, uh, but the company obviously were growing and we are looking to expand. Uh, so in the future, we may very well be expanding into other countries as well. Yeah, uh, but your clients are from all over, I would presume, right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter where you are as long as, you, and we know that, right? Because uh, as long as you have strong Wi-Fi, exactly. um, you can really, you can do most things from anywhere, certainly in our in our area. Um, so, okay, so you started in 2017, so that's pre-pandemic. Were you in an office environment or were you at home? Yes, yeah, so when we started, we were in an office environment. So we'd work in, in the headquarters, essentially, down in Newport in South Wales. Um, we'd work there, you know, a typical sort of nine-to-five role. Uh, so we'd, I would commute because I'm not close to Newport, but some people are very close to Newport, so, so it's a 10-minute drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but yeah, we would office work. Uh, obviously, like you mentioned, work in intellectual properties is um, quite electronic. Most of it's done out front, to be honest. It was an office job where you sit at a computer and obviously you're researching and creating reports then throughout the day. And so fast forward, you know, how is your how has your day changed, your your work life? How has that changed? I would say, if I'm honest, my daily work because we had quite an electronic form of working anyway the way we do our daily work it hasn't changed dramatically so obviously we're homeworking now so we're logging on 
aspects of this through online, but communicating with people in our teams, with management, with management via um, instant messaging services. And um, we're having things like Zoom calls, like every company is. Uh, it hasn't been a dramatic change, I feel, on my day-to-day, -day because day-to-day -day I'm still researching. I'm still using databases and still generating reports for people and analyzing patterns. I'm just doing it from my home instead of doing it in an office location. But now you have your golden retriever that can sit next to you while you work, right? So there are some perks. Oh, I, I love homework. I love homeworking. I'm such an advocate for it. I definitely think homework is the way forward. And personally, I don't have um, any problems with it. Obviously, I appreciate some people don't like it at all. But I definitely think homeworking, flexible working way forward because your home work-life balance is totally different in this situation it's a lot better I find yeah for some the work-life uh, balance which I really often call work-life imbalance I wrote a whole article on that it was in the in the uh, women's IP world annual from the 2019-2020 yeah. about that concept but that aside when we do talk about balance, for some people, it's more balanced now working from home than working outside the home. And for others, it's not. So it really has been very individual. Yeah. I know for myself, I was already working a hybrid type of schedule where I had a home office and a downtown office. So my life didn't change that much, but it certainly has changed for a lot of people. And it's nice to hear, you know, that for you, it's, it's been pleasant. It, it's been pleasant. And, you, and what do we need to do? We need to keep generating the work that our clients are requesting. Yeah. So, so that's, that's great to hear. Uh, and I hope, I hope the listeners are, are having, um, you know, peaceful experience um, with whatever shifts they've, they've had to make. Of course, of course. And obviously, like you said, we know some people are enjoying homework and ask for and I can appreciate that because everyone's situation is very different, isn't it? Right. Well, I'm quite, I live alone with my dog. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and yeah, and those those days that I go into the office became even more important since when I had you know when I had uh, four kids at home, <laughs> as you can imagine. Like I got to get out of here. <laughs> I got to get something done. No. Um, yeah, and we've all tried to make it work the best we can for our own circumstances, right? Definitely. Yeah. Well, and, and now we're seeing on social media and chatting with our IP community that there are some conferences that are hybrid and, you know, uh, and, and or just in person. Uh, and so that's, that's great to see. Uh, and we wish everyone um, safe and healthy conferences. Did you have the opportunity to attend any IP conferences? I did have the opportunity. So obviously, ever since I started in 2017, uh, Patent Seekers obviously attend a variety of conferences, uh, not just UK, across America, worldwide. Um, at the time, I didn't put myself forward for it in my first sort of year or two because I just I really wanted to sort of understand the world before I went speaking to clients, to customers, potential customers. And I remember thinking um, I would probably start conferences the year after. And then obviously the pandemic hit. I feel like there's a lesson in there, Claire. <laughs> <There's> a lesson. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. Well, it looks like perhaps 2022 might be your year. Yeah, absolutely. Things are really starting start to open up over the UK. Uh, obviously, we've still got coronavirus and we've still got infections, uh, but we are seeing more things happening. So hopefully next year, there will be some conferences that I can attend. <laughs> yes, yes. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, let's dive into your article, Championing Gender Diversity for Innovation. We have now started the candidate research process for the Women's IP World Annual 2022. The Women's IP World Annual is the industry's number one intellectual property law publication that celebrates the work and achievements of professional women working in IP, IP law, and innovation globally. We are very proud to provide a platform for women working in intellectual property and innovation by shining a spotlight on their expertise and professional knowledge in their respective fields of operation in IP through engaging thought leadership content. Our annual publication has caught the eye of many IP associations from all over the world. More importantly, it has attracted a cocktail of awe-inspiring, knowledgeable women who are happy to share their professional and personal experiences of working in the industry. Our unbiased approach welcomes large to boutique law firms and female industry professionals at all levels to join our network of remarkable women from all over the world. The famous American journalist and women's rights advocate, Miss Sarah Margaret Fuller Osselai, once said, If you have knowledge, let others shine their candles in it, and we couldn't agree more. Contact us today if you would like to nominate a candidate to join the Women's IP World Annual 2022 or if you would like to personally share your knowledge, inspire and be inspired. You can contact us on plus 44 0203 813 0457 or email us at info at For more information and to check out the latest issue of the Women's IP World Annual, please go to www.womensipworld.com. The Women's IP World Annual, the industry's leading publication that celebrates the work and achievements of women working in IP, IP law, and innovation globally. The Women's IP World Annual 2022 is sponsored by Patent Seekers in the United Kingdom and Lexorbis in India. Welcome back. So I know you've researched gender diversity in the workplace for your article. Again, it's called Championing Gender Diversity for Innovation, and it's on page 50 and 51 of the current Women's IP World Annual. I definitely encourage um, our listeners to uh, listen to it, um, or you can read it if you want. We have options here in, in, in this time of our lives, which is fantastic. And again, um, you can reach, you can, you can obtain it in either format from womensipworld.com. So let's talk about the article. Um, there's a lot of stats in there, and I know for for a lot of us, we love stats. Like it helps us understand um, what we're what we're looking into. I mean, the the, the data. Was there anything while you were researching that really surprised you? about gender diversity? Um, one of the things that surprised me was when I was looking at the Fortune 500 companies. So the Fortune 500 companies, as we all know, they're the big companies, and they are encouraging more females to hold CEO positions. I remember thinking, oh, there's 37 females currently holding CEO positions in the Fortune 500. 
And it was, when I was reading this article, I think it was in the news, it was sold as a really positive uh, thing. And, and it is, of course, a positive thing. And it, when I actually thought about it, that only really relates to 7.4% of females holding CEO positions. And then that surprised me when I took a step back and looked at it in terms of percentages. When we're looking at the big Fortune 500 companies, the companies who are essentially leading the way in matters like this, you've got an incredibly low percentage of females in higher up levels. Yeah, and you know we we think right that the, that the numbers would be higher. Right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I honestly thought that you know if take five hundred companies for example, I would thought at least a hundred had female CEO positions. It's really surprising to find out it was such a low amount of them that do. How does how does that translate into the into companies that are specifically would consider them innovation companies? Does that does do those numbers look better or worse? Do you mean in terms of the Fortune five hundred companies? Right. So because initially your research was generally, right? Generally speaking. And then you went, you know, kind of um, kind of scaled it down to more specifically to innovation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when you do look at innovation, for example, it it's almost in line, I would say. It, it's not far off. So uh, we found, obviously, in 2019, the uh, as we call it, the World Intellectual Property Organization, they release statistics. And in those statistics, they say 18.7% of inventors named on all PCT applications are women. So once again, it was an increase, which we've seen in the fortune by vendor companies. But it's still quite a low figure, really, isn't it? 18.7%. So it's it's good that we're seeing in the fortune by vendor companies in PCT applications, but there is an increase, or slow increase anyway, in the gender diversity. But it feels like it's so far away. So the WIPO, when they looked at their statistics, they actually said they'll only see, or they can only sort of analyze that they'll see a level of parity in gender diversity in 2044. And then when you think of that, I mean, that's shocking. That's possibly two, maybe three generations down the line that will see gender parity. I wonder, I mean, I I remember I was 35. I am not today. Looking back, I was in court and I looked around and I wondered, where where are the women? I don't, I remember specifically being 35 and oh. where there was a big drop off. Okay. So I wonder whether, what, what is, what is the reason for that? Okay. And so, and is it, and of course, you know, a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, families, um, building families and, you know, maybe the partnership in a, in a private law firm, you know, maybe the partnership track, it, um, isn't looking like it's going to happen or it's going to take a long time or the sacrifice might be too much. I mean, there could be so many reasons that relate to, you know, the, to why, 
um, specifically in that category of like family, right? Um, I'm wondering, is it, is the reason why these percentages are so low, there's 18%, is it because there's just less candidates or is it something more or, or more likely, is it like a combination of things like the, you know, breaking the glass ceiling, women are not being selected, even though they're qualified? I think it's definitely a combination. So, I mean, there is an unconscious bias uh, present at the moment. And whether we accept or whether people accept they have that unconscious bias or not, they do. You know, like you may have been taught up to have quite antiquated beliefs, you know, females in certain roles, males in certain roles, like you commented about the family. Like it's, you know, a lot of people see that their mother or the female would stay at home with their children. But that's not necessarily the case now, is it? Like sometimes it's, it's the father and the male who stays at home. Uh, but you do have this unconscious bias, like you said, that you know, women might want family, so they might not want that proposition. And uh, I think companies have that, both, like you said, in, in relation to partnerships. You know, you, would you want a partner who's going to be going off with you as a maternity? And obviously, that's an incorrect way of thinking. But that is some of the antiquated biases that are instilled uh, with people. I also think it's a little bit to do with your upbringing. So obviously, I don't know what it's like in America, but in the um, UK, you see it quite a lot. There's not really many females going into STEM subjects, as we call them. Science, mm-hmm. technology, or maths, or engineering. There's a, there's a very large percentage of males uh, in comparison to females. And I saw that when I was in university. I think there was about 100 and 10 people on my degree course and there must have been about eight females (laughs) and you have to start asking yourself why is that is it unconscious biases is it uh, nature is it nurture Uh, and I think there's no correct answer but I definitely think there's a combination of answers there are certainly initiatives now that exist yeah that did not exist when we were kids I, Mm -hmm. I think um there's definitely it's been noticed. Um, you asked, you know, about in the United States. My daughter even, so I know it from a from personal experience, my daughter was invited to attend a STEM camp oh, okay. several years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she typically goes to overnight camp, um, but we thought it was, you know, for the summer. So we're like, how are we going to do this? We actually pulled her from overnight camp. We thought it was that important that she was selected. I think there were two kids in her class that were selected. And um, we pulled her from camp and she attended this STEM camp in the city, in Chicago, where we live. And then afterwards, we sent we, we sent her back to overnight camp. So, yeah, I mean, it was a really incredible experience and it... I, having these initiatives and and parents getting behind them to support their daughters in participating you know it, it it's you know it's, they say it takes a village um it probably really takes more than that um but it 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 helps and maybe we will see these numbers uh increase faster from the standpoint of if it is true that this percentage is lagged because there aren't as many women who are going into STEM subjects, right? Maybe this will help these types of 
programs, you know, get get girls interested in these subjects, whereas beforehand, perhaps they weren't, they weren't. Yeah. And I think when these programs come in, like in the United Kingdom, we have a company, Institute of Physics, and they're trying to increase people and children, school-age children into the STEM subject. They're going into schools where, you know, they're going into schools that have maybe had, for example, the same teachers, same head teachers for 20, 30 years. And they're changing even how the teachers think. So, you know, your female students, they can learn engineering, they can learn mathematics and science. So they really are starting to push the boundaries. And obviously that is helping, I think, students in school. Yeah, well, I think that's going to be another <laughs> another challenge is uh, a, a teacher who's been teaching one way for 25 years to, to change how they teach. But I mean, it's a, it's um, these initiatives might, might help some. Yeah. It might help some. And, and the, I think also these top level, you know, these top level positions, these are not part-time positions. I, and I remember, you know, going through maternity leave with, with my own family, it was, you know, I remember thinking, I do litigation for a living. Litigation is really not one of those subjects that can be done part time. It just yeah. was never a consideration, like not a possibility. Um, and what's you know, if you're talking about like these C level positions, also may not be. So there, what, what's where's the support for the family? Where's the support from the you know the spouse or family community to you know keep these women in the in the workforce if they so choose. I totally agree with that. And I, I do agree there should be more to help uh, people stay working because, you know, not everybody wants to go part-time or have to even give up work. And on the other hand, some people are happy to. Uh, so there's no right or wrong, but there definitely needs to be that encouragement to help people. I think homeworking, now I'm biased because I, I love homeworking, <laughs> but I think <laughs> can kind of help with that side of it, you know, if you've been on maternity or if you... You know, school runs, for example, I, I think there is an element of homework in that can help when children are in school and they're not home during lockdowns. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, that was that was a real special challenge for, <laughs> for families. No, for sure. Um, tell, so tell us what was what's your personal experience with gender diversity within IP? Uh, within IP, honestly, it's actually been very good. I haven't come across a situation where I felt that. I wasn't able to tweet this well. So like I went for an interview. Uh, the director who was interviewing me was very friendly, obviously made me feel welcome. I didn't, at one point during the interview or the process where I got offered a job, feel like my gender was playing a part in any role. Like I didn't feel like, you know, an interview was going to be disadvantaged because it was a female. And I also didn't feel like I was taken on as a tick-box exercise. I generally felt accepted in IP. And obviously... As we mentioned, the STEM subjects, you, when you go into jobs, a lot of engineering jobs and science jobs, they are male-dominated. And the reasons are, like we've discussed, you know, <laughs> the yeah. generations are going to this school. But I found as my, my role as a talent analyst has actually been really enjoyable. Um, get on with everybody I work with. I don't have, um, I've never had, any situation where I felt like I've been disadvantaged or harassed or, or anything at all. Uh, during lockdown, I actually had a promotion uh, whilst I was homeworking and I just 
I know. It feels like a very progressive company. Well, congratulations on your promotion. (laughs) Was the person who interviewed you, was that a he or a she? I'm a he. A he, okay. I mean, it would be interesting to see in my in my old law firm before I started my own law firm. We did we did hiring by committee, right? Um, and the committee, I don't think it was intentional necessarily, but it it naturally, well, maybe it was, um, but it naturally had um, some junior attorneys and senior attorneys as well as um, both genders in both categories. And so it was very interesting. And then they would talk about, they would all interview candidates and then meet and talk about the candidates before the candidate was hired. So I actually think back on that and think, wow, that actually was pretty progressive. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm referencing a time that was mm, 15 years ago. Yeah. That was very right? <laughs> um, And yeah. Uh, and so it's very interesting if, like what are companies doing that or not? You know, I, I don't know. And I'm sure there's a mix. Yeah. I think there is a mix, isn't there? I think every company sort of has their own way of, of recruiting. Um, you, you, know, you just have to hope, I think, that a company that you're going into is aggressive or, or at least tries to leave any biases at the door. And I think it's, uh, you know, we know we've heard of women that go into roles that, unfortunately are not having pleasant experiences and they are facing you know harassment or discrimination uh, and obviously you have to really feel for those women uh, and I think I feel for them a lot more considering I'm in such a company that I do feel is so progressive you know we have a diverse range of people not just genders uh, we have a diverse range of ethnicity uh, religion sexuality and, and I think it's a really good climate to work in because you learn from so many different people so if someone said to you claire i mean what's the big deal why is diversity important how would you respond um <laughs> i could go on <laughs> without without using expletives <laughs> <laughs> i think it is important i mean we all talk about equal opportunities but the word and like saying the word and the action is two different things. It's really nice to feel like you're in a company where you can apply for a promotion. You know, you can apply for comments. And you know that if you have an issue that you want to bring up regarding maybe a personal situation, that it's going to be accepted the same way for everybody, regardless of if you're male or female, what, what your backgrounds are, what your race is. I just think it's really important that when you're in a company, everyone's treated the same. Or, or in a way where they everyone can can grow, yeah, and develop in a way that Im- improves them, right, and improves the company. Yeah, and I think it does when you have a diverse range of people, regardless of background, sexuality, uh, anything at all. It it really does lead to that situation because you all bring different things to the table you all approach things differently you do learn about for example different religions or different people's opinions and take on things and it when you build it all together and combine it i think it really helps build a company really helps with that um and serve your and serve your clients even better right yeah maybe someone has comes from a different 
way of handling a client or, you know, uh, an issue that's come up or even the research strategy, right? Yeah. And it's, you know, it comes, they, they come, they look at it from a different way, mm-hmm. um, which, which helps, which helps everyone. And then, of course, I mean, and, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, men and women and and we're in a society now that is recognizing the more neutral, like, oh, I yeah. don't, I don't prescribe to one gender or the other, perhaps, right? And that's something that really is under the diversity umbrella, as far as I'm concerned, regardless of your gender, whether you identify with a gender or or not you should still be treated the same way as everyone else you know <laughs> we should all be treated the same we should no one should be alienated for any reason whatsoever that or perhaps it relates to salary you know i you know we we've all heard and seen either you know maybe not personally um but um definitely know people who were paid less than a male i mean it's well known and documented yeah. Um, that in certain circumstances, and historically speaking, absolutely, men were paid more for the same job. Astonishing when you think of it, isn't it? You shouldn't be paid a different wage for doing the exact same job. And like you said, it's been in the press a lot. It's been documented a lot. I do think we're seeing less and less of that now in companies. But you are still reading about it, that companies are unfortunately still adopting that different scale for genders. And that... It's not right, is it? <laughs> if you're doing the same job, you should get the same wage. And I know in the UK, we've got um, employment laws to help with that. Uh, and I assume we've got the same in America as well. You have so much good stuff, really, that's packed into these two pages in the annual. I encourage uh, our listeners to please check it out. It's it's really great. And again, it's got some, some great data in there and um, a nice discussion of the benefits of gender diversity uh, for innovative innovation companies. So definitely check it out. Claire, thank you for being our guest. It was really nice um, meeting you and um, hearing about your background and your career in the IP space. So thank you. It's been a pleasure being here and great to meet you as well. To our listeners, please like, follow, share with your friends, uh, but also feel free to send comments and questions. We definitely want to hear from you. Keep engaging with us. We really appreciate it. And until then, and we can connect in person, take good care. You have been listening to the Women's IP World Annual Podcast, hosted by Michelle Katz from Advitum IP in Chicago, on behalf of Northern's Media PR and Marketing Limited.